Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by David Corby, a multifaceted leader in the world of complementary medicine. As the CEO of the College of Complementary Medicine for over two decades, David has been at the forefront of holistic health education in Sydney. Not just an experienced economist and CEO, he's also an international lecturer, author, and a skilled acupuncturist. David's passion for education led to the creation of Life Learning International in 2016, a global platform dedicated to empowering individuals with quality health and being knowledge. Currently pursuing his PhD in economics at Macquarie University, David's diverse expertise makes him a unique voice in both the economic and holistic health spheres. I've asked him to join us here today to share his story and discuss the synergy between mind, body, and economics. So David, thank you so much for joining us. How you doing, my friend? I'm going really well, thank you. Yeah, I like to always start off. How did you even get into this? That's a weird, that's a, I don't want to say weird, but it's a unique blend. Economics and holistic healthcare. Is this like family business? Is Are you like uh, the merge? Was your dad a banker and your mom was going to Reiki and you're like the byproduct of that or what? <laughs> well, I, what happened was I, I, I set myself some goals and I reached them by the time I was 27. <clears throat> and you know, that 27, 28 period is often a time where people reevaluate. And I had a lot of stuff happen in that year. My wife got in viral encephalitis, which is a very dangerous condition that affects the brain. And she went into intensive care. She survived. But afterwards, she had a lot of problems with speech and hearing. And so that went on for years. And it was very stressful at home. We had a young kid. You can imagine how difficult it was in those years. Anyway, we were pretty desperate. I read a book about the brain. And it turned out to be about kinesiology. I'd never even heard of kinesiology. I knew nothing at all about complementary medicine. I was a total newbie. And I said to her, look, maybe this might help. She went along. Anyway, she got better. And then I got intrigued. I had back pain at the time, a pretty stressful job and so on. And so I went along. My back pain got better. I said, look, there's something. I'm curious what the hell you just did. It seemed weird, but I'll give it a, I'd like to know more about it. I went along to a short course that was done for doctors. I was the only non-doctor who knew nothing about anything. And anyway, so it was brilliant. I loved it. And I knew straight away that's what I wanted to do. And it was a little bit debilitating at the time because I felt like I'd spent all this time developing my career in economics to get to a point where like, I was chief economist of this funds manager and so on. And then it was all for nothing. It was like, a whole decade wasted and I never wanted to do that again. So I wanted to make a deliberate choice in terms of what I wanted to achieve with my career. And I, I suppose the main thing was I wanted to do something I felt had some direct benefit for people. Right. And uh, mm. so then I went into complementary medicine. That was great. But then I thought, well, I can only help so many people. So it'd be better probably to uh, get into education so I can train people to go out there and help people. Because I really believe that... Um, there's a lot of people out there who would like to have more power and control over their own health, right? Yes. It's a big issue, 
right? Because uh, chronic disease is so rampant in Western countries, right? Uh, oh, can we stop for a second? It's so rampant where? In Western countries. Oh, that's so interesting. It seems to really like Western countries. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Let's continue. Let's continue. Okay, well, we, yeah. You may not know, I don't know whether you know this, a lot of people assume that we're getting older and older because medicine's getting better, right? But actually, that's not true. So the more recent generations are starting to live not as long. So if you right. compare them. Yeah. So my children's generation won't live as long as my generation. And, and my generation isn't living as long as my parents' generation. Okay. That's so right. there's a lot of different reasons for this. <clears throat> but I really feel like I felt at the time that it was really important to have a different framework for medicine. So Western medicine is great. If I'm having a heart attack, I need a Western medicine doctor, right? Because right. Just save me, please, because right. I haven't got time to work on my own shit, right? But right, right. once you're over the heart attack and you want to avoid the next one, that's right. when complementary medicine plays a role. What 100%. lifestyle factors have you been doing that have actually led to this heart attack? And what right. can you now do to take control of things so you don't have another one, right? 100%. 100%. And so, yeah, so that's what really drove it. I really had a passion for what I call sort of medicine of empowerment. And, and that really is about helping people recognize that what they can do to help themselves. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I'm very passionate about this. I have a personal goal to live to be 300. And I'm ser very serious about that. And I feel like if 100 is realistic at the time of this recording, I'm 40. 100, 120 is relatively realistic. We've proven it can be done. So that's almost another 80 years. That's twice my lifespan I've already lived. And if there's a medical breakthrough, it's not going to be five years. So I'm just going to keep chasing that pushed goalpost is basically it. And I love the analogy. I've heard it before as is, is like Western medicine is maybe like the lifeguard. And when you're having a heart attack, hey, I'm drowning, help me. Whereas people need swim coaches. And if you're drowning, the time for a swim coach is over. But if you learn it and and I I did I just want to like I actually do one of my clients is a health company, a health supplement company. They're partnered with a cancer chips a hospital. So they're in Tijuana, Mexico, and they do like cancer treat therapies, alternative cancer therapies, when people have had a failure to treat. So they've had some chronic ailments, insurance paid a bunch of money and it didn't work. And now they get a notice saying insurance saying, Hey, failure to treat. Sorry. Great. But we've expended all that we're willing to spend like best of luck to you. And so these people, they don't want to just give up and die. So they go to some of them find Chipsa and go across the border. Cause it's just right across from San Diego and go there. And they've got the Chipsa and they also have a stem cell clinic. And an offshoot of this became some health supplements. And this wasn't meant to be a big picture for them, but they're one of the clients as they said, Hey, we want to get the supplement out to more people. And so I do a, one of the things that we're doing for them. I personally write the health newsletter. Cause I said, I'm trying to live to be 300 and I'm very into all of this stuff. And there's just some truths that I believe to be evident. And I, I alluded it to it. And I, I almost feel like I need to apologize for you because I'm getting on a soapbox here, but a lot of these issues are in Western countries and they do not exist in other countries. And if you look, and they've actually updated this chart, but our, our world and data has a chart called life expectancy versus health expenditure. And they've updated the chart. So it may not look as bad because now the, the dots are bigger sizes based on population of the country. But the United States was all over double the global average per capita for healthcare. And it's not even a middle of the pack performer. It's a lower middle of the pack. That is like paying for private school for your kids and paying two to three times what every other school costs. So your kid can be almost retarded. And I know that might not be politically correct to say, but I just want to, I'm using it for impact. 
Like your kid is not even going to be middle of the pack. Like your kid is going to be the bottom middle performer of all, like they would have been better off going to public school type of thing. And it's just, and people just don't seem to get it. CrossFit, they went through before the pandemic, they went through 10 years of lawsuits because they figured out how to reverse diabetes, how to cure, get off the carbs, get off the couch and your diabetes somehow goes away. Mysterious. And they were just, they, all these agencies, the household names now, CDC, FDA, all these agencies, the NIH, the American College of Science Association, they all came after CrossFit. It's dangerous. It's that. They had 10 years of lawsuits. They won pretty much all of them, all of the important ones. And what they exposed was the level of corruption of the health sciences was deplorable. It was grotesque and shocking. I think there's one guy, I think his name's Kramer something. He's like a big wig at the American College of Science. He has 50,000 published papers. Not one has done anything to improve athletic performance or life expectancy. 50, something like 5,000 or 50,000 signed papers. But it's just this guy's had a career of over 20 years and he's not done one thing to produce one measurable result. But there's all these associations. There's the, what is it? The calorie in, calorie out stuff. All this nonsense. And uh, I'm going to shut up now, but I am drinking. I've already drank this Kool-Aid. I am the result. I have 40. I have abs. I can handstand walk 25 feet. I can back squat, almost double my body weight. I am incredibly fit. And if I followed all the common knowledge, there's no way in hell I would have ever been able to get close to this. My blood pressure, I checked it earlier today, is like 110 over 60. Like I'm, I am very fit and I am very committed to health truth. And that's part of why I wanted to bring you on the show because people don't understand how much they've been lied to and manipulated because there is way more money in sick people than healthy ones. So can you maybe speak to a little bit, how did you and your wife heal yourself? Yeah, so um, I could do actually you know, speak to how you can get to 300 if you like as well. Let's do it. So um, in terms of Anita and what was happening with her, the way the brain works is that if you have a severe illness or it can be anything, sometimes people have head injuries, for example, can do the same sort of thing, but certainly a viral event like that or a bacterial event, it causes damage in the brain. It gets inflamed. And then the brain doesn't necessarily reboot. It's not like a computer. that It doesn't necessarily reboot. And because it's stressful, just day-to-day activity is stressful. There's the same, by the way, I do a lot of work with autism, very similar sort of oh, thing. Yeah. You detox like them heavy metals and the autism goes away. <laughs> yeah, it's not just about heavy metals. Autism is multifactorial, but one of the things that happens is they get sensorily hyper aware. So then when you're like that, you get triggered easily. Okay, so let's say I'm sensitive to sound, like Anita was sensitive to sound. A loud sound then triggers me, so I get into survival. But when you're in survival, your brain doesn't work as well. Okay, it becomes more reactive and your cognitive processes don't work as well. So you you are triggered, you're then your brain doesn't function very well, and but you still remain sensitive because you're on alert. Because you're on alert, you get triggered again. And so you get in this bad cycle, which you can't break out of. So Anita was like that. And so with kinesiology, what they would, what they did was basically they toned her nervous system down and then it could reboot and then her function improved. So she didn't have any problems hmm. with speech or hearing, although... She's still a little bit sensitive to sound. She hasn't lost that completely, much better than what she used to be. Right. So in terms of living long. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right. So look, I think 
it, it's always good to be logical first. So let's start with logic, right? So we go, okay, so <clears throat> our human genome has developed over a long period of time. We've had farming for a very short period of time, right? Right. A sensible thing to do is to go, okay, what are we? what's our body good at and what is it used to? Okay, they're probably things that are going to promote health because we're going to be used to those. And then what are the things that we're not used to? They're probably things that aren't going to be good. It's very simple, right? right? So as a general thing, if you look across cultures and whatever, there's a whole wide range of things that people ate through that genetic history. Uh, we're pretty good at adapting. So I'm not too worried about specific protein, fats, carbs, all this sort of stuff. But the type of food is really important, right? And the way you have your food is very important. And the amount you eat is very important. And then finally, the, the, this is critical, Throughout our genetic history, we had periods where we didn't have anything to eat. And I don't mm. know whether you watch this show alone, they drop, dump people on uh, remote places and they've got to survive alone, right? And it's a really cool show. But one of the things that, you, that it tells you is just how hard it is. If you have to hunt for your food or gather your food or whatever, how easy it is to starve, basically. And so it reinforced to me that this fasting thing is important because the human is just used to having periods where we have plenty and fasting, but that's not what we have now. We have supermarkets. So all we have is lots and we have no fasting, right? And right. there is a problem for that because in our bodies, we've set up to, there's two major proteins that are influenced by how much we have to eat, right? And if we have periods where we fast and periods where we have plenty, then there's a balance and those two proteins are balanced. But if we only eat a lot all of the time, then you miss out on this protein called AMPK. And right. uh, that's extremely important for the health of your mitochondria. And you may think, why is that important? <laughs> what is the mitochondria? Well, yeah. Mitochondria is actually almost the single most important thing if you want to live to a 300 like you do, right? So because it's effectively in charge of the immune system, okay? And so all Western diseases, in terms of Western medicine now, what they've come to in terms of the research is that all these Western diseases, whether we're talking about cardiac health or we're talking about cancer or we're talking about diabetes, whatever it is, these all are, in a, even dementia, by the way, these are all really to do with the mitochondria. And if the ability of the cell to create energy over time declines, what happens is that the mitochondria tries to defend the cell, thinking there's some sort of foreign invader, like a, a virus, bacteria. That defense mechanism creates damage. Mm. And so it's oxidative stress and inflammation comes from that defense me mechanism. And that ultimately causes all the autoimmune diseases and Western diseases. So the key to longevity is to maintain good cellular health. And in particular, the energy production has to be maintained. Mm. Now, to do that, you need to do things that really help the mitochondria. One of the things you can do is not eat all the time. Right. So you, you have some periods of fasting that makes a big difference. The second thing is exercise. So exercise is really good. So long as it's the right type of exercise, a lot of people don't talk about this, okay? So there's good and bad exercise. So what's absolutely clear is if you're doing weight-bearing exercise, you're building up muscle. Generally speaking, that's going to be good for a whole lot of reasons. And they say generally you're going to like, likely to live at least 10% longer if you've got yep. good muscle mass, okay? 
Arabian exercise is not so good because it tends to be stressful and increase in the level of cortisol. So it'd be better off to do sprints than it is to do long distance running. And I reckon that's pretty obvious. If you look at the Olympics and you look at your 100 meter sprinter and you go, oh, they look pretty good. And then you look at the uh, marathon runner and they look like sticks. They look like skeletons running. Yeah, that's right. Is... You don't have to be Einstein to figure out what's good for you. you. Just you just use your general observation. Sprinting, lifting weights, walking, obviously yoga, any sort of moderate exercise is very good, particularly if it's cons uh, consistent. So if you do long distance walks, like uh, two or three hour walks, that's really good for AMPK. There's a whole lot of things you can do. But let's say in the short version is don't overeat, don't have some periods where you do do some fasting. And make sure it's good quality food. By good quality, I mean nothing out of package. You want to have basically yeah. fruit and vegetables, and and meats that are grass fed, not uh, not grain fed. And that's then of course weight bearing exercise really useful. Yeah, grass fed meats. I think that's a really good distinction versus grain. Yeah, I, I I've got some good kind of uh, mnemonics and maybe heuristics to help people with this. One is if it has a food label, it's not food. It's pretty straightforward. There's no food label on the celery, on the broccoli, on the chicken. No food label on those. Those are real food. We learned in school about carnivores. They eat animals. Omnivores, they eat plants or, and animals. And herbivores, they only eat plants. We're omnivores. If you don't like animals, then don't eat it. But you need plants and protein at a basic level. You need adequate protein and you need to eat enough plants. You need that fiber. You need the plant fiber. You can't just drink fruit juices drinking a fruit juice without the fiber of the fruit, it's almost the same as having a Coca-Cola. So that morning glass of orange juice a lot of people are having, they're thinking it's good. You're getting some vitamin C, sure, but it's no different than Sunkist. In some ways it's worse because fruit toast is actually not a very useful sugar. It's, it's, it helps us build up fat very quickly. <laughs> it's very bad for blood sugar. And by the way, in blood sugar, you're talking about diabetes earlier. Blood sugar regulation insulin is really an important issue. Because yep. insulin promotes cancer, okay? Yep. So you've got to be very careful with blood sugar swings. And a lot of people don't really understand this well. And so with diabetes, for example, one of the things people are told is they need to eat all the time something sugary in order yeah. to stop them fainting. Now, yeah, nonsense. In, in a way, it's right. They can faint if their blood sugar gets too low. That's true. But what it, it's a short-term thing. The long-term thing is if you're eating all the time like that, you actually cause more problems. You're actually better off stabilizing blood sugar by fasting. Now, yep. you can't do that instantly. So it has to be something that you can work up gradually too. But as you can work up gradually, if you do it correctly, I've worked with a lot of people with diabetes and they've improved their resting insulin enormous amounts just by very gradually and slowly and carefully changing their fasting periods. They're doing interday fasting. Right. And that's, it helped enormously. So there's some really simple things you can do. Obviously not eating sugars yeah. or fruit juices, stuff like that. Sure, that's obvious. But even there are other things beyond that which can help you to improve your insulin resistance and, and, yeah. and reduce the diabetes. Like even just putting some cinnamon in your coffee can help balance your blood sugar levels for an extended period yeah. of time. And that's part of why some of the stuff is unknown. There's no profit in it. And I think I love what you said. So fasting is huge. I think if people can understand, if I left a bucket of water in a closet, and I came back in a year, a lot of that water would have evaporated and turned to mold. And like you say, all of our diseases that we have right now, they're all diseases of excess, right? We have excessive luxury. We have excessive foods and carbohydrates. And so a lot of the, if you're putting calories and, and sugar into your body, you're not burning it, using it, it's going to store as fat and cancer, right? 
this guy wrote a book called The Blood Sugar Solution, and he lost family members of cancer and wanted to help kill it. And he finally gets to work in the lab and he was being trained on how to feed the cancer cells so they could test drugs on them. And they're like, you got to bathe these. When the timer goes, you got to bathe them in sugar. He's like, okay, got it. He's like, no, you really got to do it. It is urgent. You really got to bathe them. He's like, okay, I get it. They're like, no, you don't understand. We always get a new person and they always don't do it adequately. They don't give them enough sugar quick enough and all the cancer cells die. And he was like, wait, hold, hold on a second. You're telling me that if I need to keep feeding these things, can't uh, these cancer cells sugar, or they're going to die. And so we need to feed them sugar to keep them alive to test these drugs. And he's, isn't like, he was just, that was this whole thing, the blood sugar solution. Now, of course it's a multifaceted, it's a, it's a dynamic thing. I don't want to make it sound like there's a disclaimer, disclaimer, talk to a doctor. I'm not trying to make it seem like there's a magic bullet, but you already said the things that you said can already prevent seven out of the 10 things that kill people. Fasting, you still get the amount of protein you need in that, but timing it, giving your body periods of rest, adequate exercise, and exercise, weight-bearing exercises are really important. It's, it strengthens your bones and ligaments. Uh, you need cardio. You need the metabolic conditioning because it's for your heart and your lungs, right? Your cardiovascular system. But you want to avoid the repetitive stress injuries, right? You want to avoid the, I jog 10 kilometers, 10 miles a day, and now my knees and ankles are wearing out. That's where the high-intensity interval training really, that, there's a guy, the Tabata protocol, a Japanese guy figured that. He could have people on a cyclist, one would do an hour of training and the other group would do cycles of 20 seconds of work, 10 seconds of rest at a high intensity. And it was just like eight minutes, 15 minute intervals of doing this. And they would get the equal or better results than the people that put in an hour. Yeah, definitely. And the intensity matters. And then after the weight training and the metabolic conditioning, you do need calisthenics because calisthenics are the only exercise that improve your strength to weight ratio. And this is really important because people have to understand, like you mentioned something, and I'm trying to extrapolate so people can read between the lines of what you said, but you talked about why weight training helps you have more muscle mass, which is good for old age there. You can go watch videos online of single celled organism deaths. And what basically happens is the membrane around the cell deteriorates in one spot and then it's guts start going out. And then the membrane heals and the single cell organism is trying to survive in line. And at some point it just entropy takes over and wins and the whole organism just disintegrates. I've watched dozens of these. And so what what David here is saying is that we have to think of old age as almost like leaving your job. I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to take a year off. And if you're going to do that, you basically want to walk into that with a giant savings bank account, right? To while you go through that, because you're not going to have any other sources of income. And our, our body's regenerative abilities to heal themselves diminish, right? Our, our energy that we have diminishes. So you need to get that input, those out. You have to get as high as you can. So when you walk into old age, you're carrying as much muscle mass within reason that you can, that your bones are as dense as they can be within reason. Actually, I don't know if there is a limit to density for your bones, but your ligaments, all this stuff, frailty, falls are like for older people, once they have a fall, and they hurt their hip or their femur or something, it's it's the mortality rate skyrocket because they lose their mobility. And so that functional thing, basic things, pulling yourself out of bed, grabbing boxes off the top of shelves, that, that independence is lost because people become frail. And so what you said, fasting, which it also trains our body. If you have to think, if you've never known nothing but luxury, you're not going to be efficient with the resources you have. And same with your body. If you fast, you train your body. Hey, when we get food and energy and nutrients, we got to use these. We got to use these. It forces your body to organize itself and its systems. Training yourself physically, you're, you're training your body to regenerate and heal itself. 
right? It's not exercise that makes you stronger. It's the healing from exercise that makes you stronger. You're actually training your regenerative systems to help you regenerate better, faster, stronger, right? If I, if me now and me, when I was out of shape, got a paper cut, I would heal faster now because my body's healing systems are stronger. It's not just my muscles are stronger, but my body's regenerative. It's processing a waste material is better. And then, and then eating real food. You talked about oxidative stress and inflammation like that. They just, it just gums up. It just gums up the systems. It's like lactic acid. If your body can't clear out that lactic acid, you just, that burn kicks in and you can't perform the same way you can. So that's, this is great. These are great tips. And the other thing that you said is about eating good food. This happened to my partner. She had torn ACL and got surgery. And I've, I'm, I would say compared to most people know I'm really good with my diet. And she was like, wow, I ate, we ate whatever for dinner. You know what? And it was really good for the inflammation. And I said, no, you have it backwards. It just, that food doesn't cause inflammation. It's not that it's good to fight inflammation. It's that our, your diet is absent of inflammation causing foods. And that's what a lot of people don't get. Like when you read these things, top 10 foods to help fight inflammation, they're just inflammation free foods. Your body just accepts it hundred percent without any irritation. But when you go and get a big fat cheeseburger full of seed oils and all this other nonsense, your body, like it's like, what is this? It's like pouring salt and water in your gas tank of a car. It just doesn't process well. And that all generates inflammation. I'm so sorry. This is supposed to be your interview, but you just mentioned some things I'm very passionate about. And I just, I feel like people have been manipulated for profit. I think there is a, call it a conspiracy theory if you want, but there is, there are groups of individuals that have figured out that it's easier to make people sick with food and put things that are addictive in foods that are legal, and then to send them to the hospital and get them sign up on the meds. And now we have their grocery bill and their monthly medical bill, and we just pass them back and forth. And then at the end of the line, now they're in palliative care. The number, the 40% of bankruptcies in the United States are for medical bills. So we're just going to empty their bank accounts before they die now. Ah. And now that they're dead, whatever, the funeral homes can have them. And probate lawyers can take over anything we couldn't get through food and through medical bills. And I just think it's just the most perverse system on the earth. And when you look at that chart, life expectancy versus expenditure, to me, that just speaks volumes. I'm like, there is a parasitic entity attached to to this country that is optimized for profit, not performance. Because they're extracting more than twice as much profit per capita for healthcare, and they're not even delivering middle of the pack performance. Clearly, performance is not the goal. And maybe I'm preaching to the choir here, but what would you recommend to someone who's starting out or struggling, like they're having health complications? Is there like a, a way to reboot an assessment? Are there certain tests that they should look for? Yeah, so my big area of research interest, and I do a lot of teaching on it, is uh, mind-body medicine. <clears throat> and what the premise of that is that we get all these diseases over time because we chronically don't live well yeah. <laughs> for different reasons. Yeah. So, but my view is you can't just tell people, oh, stop smoking or whatever, or eat better. You need to actually work on what it is that motivates me to have the current lifestyle. We need to address that because unless we address the root motivation that's behind everything, they're unlikely to change. So I do a lot on that. And it's very interesting because what I discovered over a long period of time is the where the places we get diseases actually tells us something about the sort of, I suppose, the emotional or psychological factors that 
push me towards that. I'll give you an example. Let's say a lot of people have thyroid problems, okay? So the thyroid is one of these glands that is really important for metabolism. And if you don't have good thyroid function, you get really tired. You can't, you get, you obviously start putting weight on and it really is debilitating, okay? Now you might say, what would cause the thyroid problem? Well, what, what it is, is usually the person's been pushing themselves too hard for mm. a long period of time so then they put pressure on the thyroid and then of course over time it gets disease so it's pretty much like that across the board if you eat too much sugar you put pressure on the pancreas yep. Yep. you've got to produce too much insulin it takes by the way about three weeks but look at sorry that's okay your audio is fine keep going the thyroid no you're good yeah Okay, in terms of the pancreas, uh, for three weeks, it already starts the epigenetic changes in the pancreas cells and you get more inflammation. It only takes three weeks, okay? You put pressure on a part of your body, you're likely to then have a disease. So with mind-body medicine, what it is, it's the language of what each of those organs is related to. The thyroid relates to pushing yourself too hard, but if it's, say, the pancreas and it's uh, sweet food, then usually it's uh, issues around not being able to nurture or nourish yourself or trying to care too much for other people, focusing too much on other people, that leads to that sort of eating. So anyway, so I really have a lot of experience working with people with chronic illness. So the first thing I would do if someone's got a chronic illness is try to work out why they're not actually listening to their bodies well and right. and they're putting pressure on themselves. Maybe they're working 60-hour weeks, they're super stressed about it. So what's behind that? What's motivating it? And, you know, for I'll give you an example. I had a guy come in, he had really high blood pressure and, he, and they weren't able to medicate it, right? So it was 200 over 130. That's extremely dangerous. It's very dangerous. Yeah, he'd been in hospital, in and out of hospital. They're trying everything. They just can't fix it. His life was one of working. He was a chief executive. He worked really manic hours and whatever. And first off, I just needed to help him stabilize that. So I gave him a lot of really calming exercise we call it yin exercises but basically it's calming exercises you had to walk slowly you had to do some meditation whatever mm-hmm. three days and his blood pressure comes down and then he comes back to me after a couple of weeks because he started work again and it was going back up i said okay we've got to address the root cause here right why why is your lifestyle so stressful what's fo- in focus on that anyway it turns out that he never really felt he deserved to live he just didn't think he had any value and he's way of getting value in life was to support his family, his, his wife and his kids. And he thought the only way he could do that was through working like a dog, basically. <laughs> but un- underneath was this sort of sense that he had no value at all. So that's what we, we worked on. And then he, he continued to work. But the thing is, it was less stressful. There was less riding on it. So sometimes you can do the same activity, but with less intensity and it yes. makes all the difference. Yeah. If people are listening out there and saying, I can't change my what I'm doing, I'd say to them, it's not necessarily what you do. It's actually why you're doing it is that creates a lot of stress. And if we can address that, we can reduce the stress. They can have a very big difference, make a very big difference to, to whether they're healthy or not healthy. And then some simple changes in their lifestyle can make a big difference. So like you talked about inflammation earlier. Mm-hmm. A very simple thing you can do to help your inflammation is you can even eat the same foods, but just cook it in water. Okay, so I'm talking proteins here. When you cook proteins in water, make it a stew instead of a roast, okay? The difference in inflammatory cytokines as a result, there's different 
pathways, if we're talking red meat, for example, it gets digested. When it gets digested, it produces certain byproducts, and those byproducts are generally inflammatory. But uh, the, in turn, when we measure those levels in the blood, and you get the same piece of meat, but one is roasted and one is cooked in water, you find there's a 40% difference. That's a lot. 40% difference in blood levels of, histo- of cytokines after cooking in water. So right. a simple thing they can do is just have stews instead of roast. It's not yeah. that big a change. Yeah, I love <laughs> that. They completely change their diet. Just change. So there's a lot of little things that people can do. They can help themselves and in the process make a big difference. So the other things you spoke of earlier clearly true if, if someone goes and has whole foods they have basically meats and salads a sort of mediterranean sort of diet yep. don't overeat that makes an enormous difference to yep. a whole lot of health outcomes they don't have to completely change everything but definitely yep. the pasta the going out and having takeaway every night is a good way just to die early but i think the more important <laughs> thing is it's not about living long in my view it's living well health span and, not just lifespan yeah, I was watching a show the other day and they were interviewing these ladies in Okinawa, which is a place in Japan where people live a long time. Yep. They're in their 80s and 90s and they look so vibrant. I couldn't get over it. They just, they were moving around so well. And I thought, this is fantastic. And I was walking yep. off the airplane and a lady in front of me about the same age as me, she was in the 50s, and she's just finding it hard to even get down the stairs. And I thought, yeah. oh my God, what a huge difference. And that's just lifestyle. It's nothing else. It's just lifestyle. And it's not just about living long. It's about enjoying the life you have. Yes. Just little things can make a huge difference. Yeah, 100, 100%. And the little things do make a big difference. And I know there's probably some people thinking, okay, but I have hereditary blank. Listen, you can have the gene for alcoholism, but if you don't drink alcohol, if you were wherever you lived, if there was no alcohol for you to drink, that gene could not express So regardless of your genetic inclinations, you can have an impact and influence on them. And they've actually found that evolution not just happens directly like through a bloodline, but it actually happens through osmosis, through an ecosystem. Meaning that as, if you take a look at birds, as one bloodline's evolving, the others see the evolution and adapt it without having to actually have that bloodline themselves. So if you have the gene for alcoholism and you don't drink, it will not express. And if you hang out in circles where people have things better to do than sit around and get drunk all day, every day, you, your body will actually like adapt. And then be like, it will be, it's like fitness. If you, if I said, Hey, we're going to make your five best friends, the fittest people on the planet, you by default would become fitter because they wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to be friends with them. I'm just going to hang out and sit down for 14 hours. They're like, I don't, I don't have time for this. We got stuff to do. We got things to go, play, things to do, people, places to go, people to see. Things that don't move have smaller brains, just across the animal kingdom. Things that don't move have smaller brains. That's the other part. You will reach your full potential if you do more. And I, movement is life. A friend of mine just did a post about how he got a blood clot on a, I did a 10 hour flight. And apparently this is common with truck drivers because they sit for extended periods of time you're more at risk of having a blood clot just by sitting still. We've probably all heard about the study where for every hour you sit down, it reduces your life expectancy. Movement is life. You have a car that never went anywhere. It wouldn't need headlights. It wouldn't need windshield wipers. You wouldn't need a horn. You wouldn't need an engine. You wouldn't need wheels. You wouldn't need a drivetrain. You wouldn't need an exhaust pipe because it's not going anywhere. And they've done studies that students that take a 10 minute walk before doing an exam perform better. And that's because they're bringing the oxygen, they're feeding their brain, the blood is circulating, feeding nutrients to its body, sending messages to different things. 
But when you sit down, your circulatory system stops moving, your breath shortens, and you're just not at your full potential. So again, people have to realize that the world is not necessarily as we've been told it is. A really simple example of how many illusions exist. If anybody here listening to this looks outside their window and they see the birds and the squirrels or whatever you have outside your house, they don't get a weekend. There's no holiday. There's no two days off. The bird can't go, hey, cat, uh, it's my weekend. Can you come chase me tomorrow? They don't have fridges. They don't have technology. They have to find food and fight off predators every single day. So our whole like, oh, I'm, I need a mental health day. Uh, like we have become pacifier sucking ninnies in the sense that we just don't understand the reality of the world. We have had our, our ancestors create such luxury for us that we squander it. And that's part of why we can see all this, the, the, the catastrophes that we're having as a society is because we're more concerned about our pronouns. If that's your biggest concern in life is your pronoun, like you just don't know how good you have it. And regardless of what I, you may think, I think about that scenario, that in itself is a, it's a lagging indicator or a leading indicator of doom. That is your biggest concern in life. Really? Okay. Because there's so much other stuff going on that is so much more important than that. And that's where I say that's an illusion. Weekends, holidays, time off. That is a, a social construct we created, but it is a fabrication. It's just a fantasy that we all agree to participate in. And there's so many fantasies like these that we have collectively agreed to as a society. And one of them, as you mentioned, is eating improper food, these lifestyle decisions. And they mysteriously seem to follow the Western culture where they go. It's just so bizarre. Okinawa does not have a Western culture. A lot of these societies, America, the life expectancy in America has dropped every year the last two, three years now. Chinese now have a higher expect life expectancy than Americans. But I thought we had science. Well, the, I thought traditional medicine was quackery. Chinese traditional Chinese medicine. I thought that was quackery. We have science. We do have science, but it's not infallible. And actually people are really prone to accepting bribes. And there were a couple of Harvard scientists that were busted for having accepted bribes from the sugar industry, I believe it was, to point at fat as the culprit, not sugar. And that's why we have all these low fat products in the grocery stores, because some Harvard scientists, nutritionists accepted some bribe money from big sugar to go, oh, it's fat. We don't, fat is dangerous. Yeah, you don't want that fat. Don't worry about the sugar, it's the fat. And we've got to purge ourselves of all of this as a culture and as a society, if we really want to live long, happy, healthy, joyful, wealthy lives. You have me so energized and jazzed. Like I'm going right. to feel like I'm going to hang up and do, go do some push-ups and then go eat some broccoli. And <laughs> it's just with the genetics and Chinese medicine, one of the things I love about Chinese medicine is that somehow, I don't know how they did it, but a couple of thousand years ago, they worked out pretty much how the body worked. They didn't really understand anatomy well, but physiology, they nailed. Absolutely fantastic. And so in terms of epigenetics and how much impact it has, they say, okay, we're born with almond. And then how we live our life makes a big difference. And so mm. if we push ourselves too hard, that endowment gets eaten up and effectively then the cells in our body don't work as well. That's what they were talking about, right? It's a concept. It's to do with Jin is the, the name in Chinese. Right. Anyway, in Western medicine, we've got the same concept. We got a we got a genome, right? But whether that expresses, you're talking about genes and whether they express or not. Basically, whether it expresses depends on actually how hard we live our life. If we're in tune with our bodies and don't push ourselves too hard, Generally, we won't express those mutations, so our cells do function still well. But if we push the envelope, don't listen to our bodies, 
then that starts to unravel and our mutations get expressed and then all of our cells start to function not so well. And so that's mm. premature aging. So what's really clear now in terms of epigenetic studies is that we can make an enormous difference to our aging and our general function, our overall vitality, simply by listening to our bodies and not pushing mm. ourselves too hard. It's not always easy. So I had a problem with a tooth. I afterwards had quite a lot of fatigue. I had to just rest and not get back into my normal activities too quickly, right? And that's just a matter of tuning in and going, okay, I'd love to go to the gym today, but I haven't got the energy for it. Let's just wait. And if you do that, you'll find then that you recover that vitality. But what a lot of people do is they want to get back to what they were doing before too quickly. Mm. And that's where and that's where all these post-viral syndromes come, like the long COVIDs and general post-viral syndromes. It's just pushing your envelope too quickly. And there's a whole physiology. If we had a couple of hours, I could explain it to you. But basically, there's a whole physiology behind that. Don't push yourself too hard because the consequence will be tomorrow you'll have less energy capacity. I think that's an important, it's a yin-yang kind of thing where you have to let yourself recover. But that said, no one ever rested their way into a world championship. However, they have to recover from the thing so they can be at their best. So it is, silence is as much music as noise is. If there was no silence between the beats, it would just be like there'd be no melody. And so I, I think that's what you're saying. And I agree with that 100%. And I, it is a delicate balance act, balancing act. And like you said, listen to our bodies, things like resting heart rate, uh, your blood pressure, making sure you get adequate sleep. That is a huge one. For me personally, I, and just speaking, I can only speak to myself. I found that if I, because a lot of people are like, oh, three days of exercise, two days of rest or whatever, or a day on, day off. I can go six days a week as long as I'm getting adequate sleep. But as soon as I start getting less than seven hours of sleep a night, I can't do five, six days of exercise. I can physically feel like my body is wearing down and that rest, that restful sleep. And it's also partnered with protein intake. I can actually tell through, that's part of why I love my morning routine is I can tell when I wake up, how am I today? How am I performing? Am I fatigued? Am I just tired for sore from the last couple of days? What's going on? And it's almost always tied to the sleep that I'm getting and the food that I'm eating. And as long as I'm getting good sleep, eating good food, I could almost do like I said, six, six days of hard training a week personally, but it's not something you jump into. It's something you got to build up to. And the, and the key thing there is that you're actually aware of it. That's what I'm trying yes. to get to. So if you're, if you are not aware of it and you keep going the six days a week, when you, when you haven't got the energy, that's when you get problems. A hundred percent. And what you'll find in a given lifetime, different things will happen that will change your capacity to produce yes. energy. Yes. And what happens is people just don't realize that their energy production capacity has gone down, right? So right. classic is if you get a virus, because of the way our immune system works, we can destroy the virus, but the consequence is for a while, we won't produce energy at the same rate, okay? Right. So long as we don't ignore that and we just let a bit, give us a bit of a time to recover, then we'll bounce back and we'll be fine. But the yep. pe- a lot of people will try to get back to work too quickly or try to work through it. And that's when they get problems. A hundred percent. So there's, like you said, the recovery from it. There's also what you eat, eat prior in the day. I tend to eat later in the day. I fast in the day at mornings. I eat a lot of, and I'm, again, I can only speak to myself, but a lot of fruits and light, lighter foods in the day. And I keep, if I'm not fasting, keeps my energy high, but also temperature. That was the other thing that really shocked me because your skin is an organ as well. So in the Philippines here, it is very tropical. 
And I get used to like, oh, like you, anybody that like, if you run my five kilometer time is whatever, 40 minutes or whatever that is. And they know it. But anytime I go back to Canada, it's like my capacity doubles because it's cold there. And so my body doesn't have to regulate temperature and all that extra energy is now like available. And it's always blown my mind because I like, I compete with my friends sometimes. And there's been days where I've stopped. Is everything okay? What's happening here? Because in my mind, I'm mentally like, I should be panting, and but I'm not. And that's where I realized, like you said, there's other factors. Again, it's not a linear, like we are as much our environment. We are as much a part of our yesterday as we are a part of our tomorrow. And it is a unified whole. And that's where holistic medicine and, and taking a look at everything, how it works in unison is so important. David, I want, you've been such, this has been such a great call. I, like I said, I'm super energized. I want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? Oh, there's heaps of things we could have talked about, but I think that's <laughs> <good>. <laughs> If people want to contact you and find out more, what, what's the best way for them to reach out? Probably, probably through the college website, I'd say. Which is ccm.edu.au. So those of you that are interested in learning more, go check out, get in touch with David, go to ccm.edu.au for Australia. Once more, that is ccm.edu.au. If you're not able to figure that out, you can just Google College of Complementary Medicine in Australia, and that should hopefully pull that up. David, thank you so much for coming and sharing with us. This has been a, hopefully a really empowering call, empowering call for people. Hopefully we broke through a lot of misinformation and nonsense that people have been brought up to believe. I really value your expertise and you coming and sharing with us today. Uh, honestly, I think if people listen to this call a couple of times, it could change lives. So thank you so much. All right. Thank you. All right.